Amen. If you will, take your Bibles tonight and ask you to turn to Matthew 26. As you're turning there, it's our joy to be here. Heidi and I have truly been encouraged. And I just want to say this, uh, maybe on behalf of your pastor and uh, the church leadership here, I, uh, as I am beginning to travel a bit more than I did early on, I remember having a young man ask me as I was a church planner, so do you travel and preach yet much? And I said, no, I'm planning a church. And that pretty much takes up my time. And just recently through some of our staffing and things God's doing in our church, God's allowed us to travel a bit, as your pastor mentioned. But can I just say this as it relates to your church, the music and the spirit in this room, both this morning and tonight, if your church is just still here, and following Jesus Christ and having a vision and a burden for the lost and uh, for the soon-coming Savior, that, that's a win right there. And whatever the last couple of years have been in your church, I hope you appreciate this is not the norm in many places uh, to see vibrant uh, families and growth and how God is blessing your ministry. You're together. Uh, you're unified and around the message and mission that God has given. And I just want to commend you for that and encourage you to support and partner with these that God has gifted and called in your church. And it's our honor to be with you today. You guys have been very kind to us and encouraging to us. And we consider this ministry a friend, even though you would make fun of us bumpkins down in Mansfield growing up uh, and all that goes with that. Um, I, I probably would have told my first story uh, to some adult who was prepping me for a smite mission trip out of this uh, church uh, for Mansfield Baptist Temple. And uh, actually, as a youth pastor, brought teens for a few years as well from Michigan. Uh, don't boo too loudly as I say that word uh, today. But uh, just uh, grateful to be here and to kind of reminisce as well as to anticipate what God has in the days ahead. Matthew 26, if you will. Let's begin in verse 36. We'll read down through verse 39. Look at a couple other verses around this text as we have time tonight. Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane. Matthew 26, 36, and said unto the disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Notice that. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will but as thou wilt. Tonight, for a few minutes, we want to look at this subject, the decision uh, in the midst of depressions. We talked about the gospel as it relates to anxiety. Tonight, I want to talk about the decision as it relates to depression. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word tonight. Thank you for the sweet spirit in this church and what you're doing, not just in these four walls and the other spaces being occupied tonight, but what you're doing outside of these walls, as uh, even was mentioned through the live stream and other outreach initiatives. I pray that you would bless those as we head in this fall season of ministry and guide um, the pastor and his family and those that partner with him in leadership. Bless each person that has a part in the mission and message of this church. I pray, Father, that some of the most fruitful days and moments of Cleveland Baptist Church, as many as there's been in the past, would be ahead of it. If you tarry your coming, give us a fresh sense of vision. Give us a fresh belief and hope and confidence in your word and in your son. And I pray tonight that you would renew some health, you would restore, and that you would uh, comfort and challenge where needed through your gospel and your word tonight. Bless this service. Sanctify it with your presence, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. We have a little dog in our house. His name is Mo. Uh, he's a little teddy bear dog, so he would be all of about eight pounds. So some of you would say he's not a dog, he's a glorified cat with fur and can bark, something of that nature. But uh, our dog, his name is Mo, and my boys, when we got him, his middle name, so he has a, it's not only Mo Snowed, he has a middle name, his middle name is Bacon. 
you catch the pun there, Mo Bacon, more bacon. And uh, he's a cute little fellow, but he gave my wife a run for her money about a week and a half, two weeks ago. And uh, he had to have a surgery, so he went in for the surgery and got done with that, came home, and, and, uh, and he, he'll bolt. So if the front door is open, especially at night, you know, it's getting dark a little bit earlier as we head into fall season. Uh, I came home from, I think I had something at the church, can't remember what was, go- oh, well, yeah, we were hosting a pastor's thing at our church, and I got home pretty late, it was about 9 o'clock, and as soon as I walked in the door, my nostrils said, something's not right here. And, and within about 15 seconds, skunk is what I smelled. And so I turned the corner and my wife's very sweetly in the bathtub trying to wash our dog. And she gives me the look like, you should have been here about 15 minutes ago. And just, it was chaos as she's trying to clean up the dog and looked online, Googled, what do you put on a dog when he gets sprayed by a skunk? A couple nights later, same sweet, you know, endearing dog that he is, uh, same thing, door opens, he bolts, and he started chasing a rabbit. This is like after dusk around our neighborhood. And so my wife is running through the neighborhood chasing our dog, saying, you want a treat? You want a treat? You know, whatever she could do to try to cajole our dog to come home. And one of our neighbors, they just have a newborn baby, and my wife's in their backyard, probably while they're putting sweetly with lullabies playing, trying to put their baby to sleep. My wife's in the backyard. Hey, you better come right now to the dog, you know, trying to chase the dog home. You ever notice that, that animals operate basically on instinct? Have you noticed that? Sometimes it's a good thing. Sometimes, as in the cases I'm referencing this evening, not so good. You know, as it relates to depression, if we're not careful, decisions are set aside and instead there is simply a reactionary mode to the darker side of our emotional spectrum. And often our depression is caused not by what occurs in our lives, but how we passively or reactionarily uh, respond to it. Someone said this, an author I read regularly said this, our circumstances, no matter how difficult in the past or present, do not determine whether we live expansive or joyful lives or just exist in the small world of our self-pitying depression. Listen, but the choices we make in light of those circumstances do. And so what I want to do tonight for a few minutes is we're going to look at the Lord Jesus Christ who modeled perfectly how to interact with depression in a decisive manner to instead of focusing on our circumstances that honestly should evoke in our hearts a, a level of depression, Our world's a very broken place, isn't it? Um, And there's much this evening that we could be depressed by, but the the glorious truth is this, that in the midst of any season or any era of church history, God's people still can choose. They can still decide to let Jesus be the one that directs their emotions. And so I'm grateful tonight that we have this little window into Jesus' soul and the health that was there as well as the struggle. Yes, he was God, 100% so. But he also experienced the range of our emotions, including this one called depression. And so we find the context, obviously, there in verse 36. Where does this occur? It occurs in a little garden of Gethsemane. From what we know of this region, this would have been a place where they would have pressed olives. To get the oil out of the fruit of an olive tree, the olive, it has to be pressed. It has to be depressed to evoke out of it. Uh, the fruit and the benefit that comes from that, uh, that tree. And so that's what we're going to look at tonight for a few minutes. As Jesus experienced this depression, what can we glean from uh, his example? Let's talk about tonight quickly, and our outline's there in your insert, 
if you care to follow along. I don't have all of the points on the slides. I'll try to repeat the subpoints to make sure you track with us tonight. Let's talk for a few minutes, first of all, about the admission of depression. The first thing we have to do as we process depression, as we try to let God help us, is like Jesus, we have to be willing to admit when we're depressed. Any of you depressed about a football game that happened just a few minutes ago? All right, sorry about that. I jinxed us, I think, by referencing it this morning. It's probably more in play than that. Um, But we have to be willing to admit where we're depressed. Can I just give you kind of an opening thought? You may want to jot this down. Depression is not an unresolvable problem. Depression in of itself is not unsolvable or unresolvable. Listen, but depression plus a proud denial of it is unsolvable. And so for us tonight, the first step of dealing with depression is just saying, hey, if it's us, I'm struggling with depression. That, that's a step toward the solution. And so even the Lord Jesus is willing to do that as we're about to see in the text. All right, look at verse 37. He took with him, notice this, verse 37, he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Number one, jot this down, we need to admit with decisive feelings. The first thing we have to do is be decisive with our feelings. Admit where we need to be decisive with our feelings. Jesus here is experiencing sorrow. In fact, the word that's used here, a word that's unique to the text here, means to be grieved or sad to the point of distress. Um, As Jesus anticipated all that he was about to absorb and experience upon the cross, the intensity of the feelings that flooded through his soul. I don't know that we can appreciate tonight what it, what it felt like for him as a holy God to anticipate the tainting of our sin upon his very being and visage and the separation for the only time in eternity from his Father. And so this groaning, this distress, this burden, Jesus was willing to acknowledge the feelings flooding uh, his heart. As I did this morning, can I give you a few background components of depression? And this would be kind of helping us, maybe those of us especially who don't experience depression or having trouble understanding it. Let me give you a few things that kind of are the roots of our our depressed feelings. Number one, there's a theologically rooted feeling. Um, For the unsaved, living in a broken world without any hope of salvation or deliverance, at least that that seems to be on the horizon, that generates in the heart of a lost person depression. There's a certain level of depression that actually leads us to Christ. Uh, So tonight, if you don't know Jesus Christ as Savior and there's a darkness of heart and a despair of your soul, that's God's gift to you, that gnawing and that drawing and causing you to realize you need some other outside source of joy and peace and salvation. So God often uses the melancholy moments of the unsaved existence. How many of us in the room, starting with yours truly, how many of us got saved partly because of an ebb that we had emotionally, a fear of hell, a loneliness, an isolation, a despair that drove us to Christ, drew us to Christ. And so God often uses these feelings of depression in an evangelistic way. And then for the saved, I think sometimes we feel like if as a believer I ever am depressed that somehow I'm out of sync with God and and that's not something that's a sanctified, there's no sanctified version of depression. Um, I heard an author who said this, it's a myth to think that faith is always smiling. Some of the greatest believers in history, not in sin, but just in a low ebb moment, they, they, they were depressed, they were discouraged. And so often our relationship with God 
whether we're saved or unsaved tonight, involves certain levels of depression. And so depression often is caused by theological uh, reasons. Number two, it is also rooted in psychological rooted feelings. And so there are times where our mind and psychologically what's going through our head and heart uh, produces this feeling of depression. Um, For those who experience this kind of depression, it is often the result of severe trauma or emotional shock that often leads to a break, actually, in our relationship with reality. We actually check out. We are numb to life and to stimuli around us because of some traumatic experience that we have gone through. For Jesus here in the text, his depression was a result of things to come. So the, tr- the things that, that traumatized or things that evoked in his heart and mind depression were the result of his knowing what was about to happen. For us, it's what we know that already has happened. Does that make sense? So our trauma is not what we've yet to anticipate. We may fear the future, but ours is rooted in things that have happened to us that affect us psychologically. And just this caveat tonight, trauma, listen, trauma is a very subjective thing. Um, trauma is not about what happens to us as much as it is how we respond to what has happened to us. Now, if you've ever been in a situation where someone is traumatized by something that you feel like, that's not even a big deal. And yet there are things maybe tonight that you've been traumatized that someone else would not be so deeply affected. And so it, it's the processing mentally of something that's occurred in our life uh, often leads us in this direction of depression. Thirdly, lastly, biologically rooted feelings. So there's theologically rooted, psychologically, and thirdly, and lastly, biologically. Um, And I just give you briefly an overview. There are lots of reasons biologically, and by that I mean your body, how your body's wired, its hormones and other factors, um, different seasons of life, shifts in our physical anatomy that, that lead to depression. Depression can be the result of physical problems such as anemia, arteriosclerosis, uh, low blood sugar, thyroid disorders, hormone imbalances, infections, and even dehydration. There have been depression cases connected only to just simply being dehydrated. Um, And so all of those physiological things can eventually lead in this direction. Imagine, say tonight, if you're struggling with depression or someone you care about, we, as we're doing these um, uh, monthly, as your pastor mentioned, gone about once a month, The thing I keep hearing is those that are battling these emotional health issues typically are represented by the one in the room who cares for them. So whether you're battling depression or not or someone you care is, can I encourage you to consult with your physician to make sure that you address any physical needs that may be uh, fueling or contributing to uh, these somatic or these bodily kind of symptoms that lead us into depression. i give you just one example of how this works. There's what is called bipolar depression and probably you've heard the term bipolar at times, but there are folks who have uh, contracted or been diagnosed with bipolar depression specifically that simply is a result of using drugs or alcohol or having what's called the Cushing's disease. Maybe you've heard of that, where they have a disease that leads them them to have certain at least weaknesses or tendencies uh, in that direction. So clinically, that has been validated. We need to be willing to be humble enough to acknowledge where there are biologically rooted feelings. Um, And so may we take full advantage of medications and consultations that God has given us, uh, resources around us to help us. And then I would just say this last thing, we'll move on. Don't ever spiritualize what is a physical or a psychological issue. I hope you left that from this morning, but I just want to reiterate that tonight. There are things that only the Bible can answer, the soul, right? 
But God has given us uh, all these other things we have access to, do, uh, to and we must take uh, full advantage of those as God gives us direction and leading. So our emotions are almost like the warning sign on uh, our dashboard. Are we willing to identify and admit these feelings that lead us in a direction uh, toward uh, depression? All right, go to verse 38. Then saith he unto them, this is a key point tonight, then saith he unto them. So John, um, Matthew here kind of gives us the narrative perspective on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Now in verse 38, then saith he unto them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even unto death. Number two, jot this down. We need to admit where we have depression with decisive words. Isn't it interesting, decisive words, that Jesus verbalizes, hey guys, I'm depressed. He verbalizes it. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you notice, sometimes we have things that we do in our Western culture that we just all do them and we never really talk about why we do them. Um, my wife, we've had this ongoing thing for a few years where we have what are called throw pillows. Do you know what throw pillows are? They're pillows that we just throw around. Why are these on our bed? Why are these on our couch? And we never use them. They're just there. And, um, and, and so we've had this dynamic for years uh, discussion, kind of tongue-in-cheek, me being passive-aggressive probably at times and asking about these throw pillows that we're so invested in financially and spatially, et cetera. And there's never enough, right? Um, it's just it's part of the deal. But anyway, I saw, the other day I saw a, def, a, a reason. Here is what throw pillows, here's what, the why. Throw pillows are basically grown-up stuffed animals. Does that help? So, I mean, we can't have stuffed animals sitting on our bed at home now as a 35, 45, 60-year-old person, but we can have throw pillows. That just, that, that click, now it makes sense, you know, there's the reason for it. Can I say as it relates to depression, sometimes the reason we struggle with it is because we're not willing to verbalize what needs to be verbalized, either to say what needs to be said or to listen uh, to, God, to God's voice through his spirit and his word. And so Jesus here is very definitive. He speaks with uh, specificity. He comes out and says, men, listen, my soul is exceeding sorrowful. Two things under that. Number one, you notice that he uses unvarnished words. He doesn't use fancy words. He doesn't try to couch it. He doesn't try to, to, to say it in a way that's indirect. He uses unvarnished. He uses very direct words to these men. My soul is exceeding sorrowful uh, even unto death. That's pretty depressed, isn't it? To be sorrowful unto death. Jesus just says it like it is. And can I tell you, one of the most freeing things that I have found as a counselor is being in the sacred moment where someone actually says what's going on in their life. There's no, there's no, there's no uh, veneer. There's no pretense. It just gets real between them and God. And Jesus here is willing to say uh, that he's dealing with depression. All right, notice the end of verse 38. Tarry ye here and watch with me. Number two, these are communal words. These are not only unvarnished words, these are also communal words. He doesn't say them alone. He doesn't say them in solitude. He says them while in Christian community. And so Jesus, who took the eight, now whittles it down to three, and he shares with them his soul. He shares with them what he's going through. He verbalizes his depression. 
Just a couple of words on that practically. If you say t uh, tonight, Pastor Snowden, how do I process depression? What can I do with it? Because here's one of the challenges with depression. When you're depressed, it's hard to do anything, right? You're, you're, you're immobilized. You're, you're shutting down where there needs to be, as we talked about this morning, uh, action, intentional directions that are set. And I would just give you a couple things, maybe just jot down if something jumps out at you that would be a help to another or to you tonight. Uh, a few things I think could help us in this area of communal words. How do I open up to others? How do I share with them where I'm struggling with depression? Number one, I would encourage you to begin with the God-given leadership that God has put in your life. Start, if you're a young person tonight, start with your parents. God put them in your life for a reason. Um, and I know that can get awkward as we move through adolescence, but uh, there ought to be open communication between you and your parent. It could be your spouse. That's a God-assigned uh, relationship, your pastor, or other church leadership that God has put in your life, but begin by verbalizing. And I hope one of the things that will happen, and I'm sure your pastor's prayers are the same, is out of this weekend, this Sunday, that there'll be some conversations that either continue or begin, uh, where things are said that have needed to be said for some time. Number two, I'd encourage you to consult with your physician. I mentioned that a moment ago. Don't go off a medication cold turkey autonomously from your physician. Uh, don't start something flippantly. Don't start a medication without uh, thorough consideration and prayerful consideration after consulting with your physician. Number three, be open to counsel and a referral from those that you do trust. If you don't have that person, uh, I encourage you to reach out to the church here and others that you know and get a referral to someone who can be of help and a counselor to you. And then I think this is the most important one. Share life with a trusted friend. Um, I think there are times where we just need a TCF, if you will, a trusted Christian friend that's going to be there for us when we hit a low, when we hit a low point. They already know our issues. They know our challenges. They're there to listen. They're there to encourage us. Uh, I think we need that. If you don't have that in your life, you are going to be vulnerable to depression, and you're gonna, it's going to trip you up in ways that otherwise that friend could help you with. Key point tonight, depression should never be processed alone. Depression should never be processed alone. And if I had to guess, if this church is like the average church that I pastor and the ones that we have the privilege of visiting, there's a whole lot of depression in this room being processed alone. Um, and so I hope that we'll open up to others and we'll let others open up to us. I don't know if you ask somebody how they're doing and then you get an earful and you move away as quickly as possible. Don't be that person. Uh, be open. Be a listening ear. And allow others to be that for you as God leads you. Uh, lastly, under this quickly, commit to take daily reading of God's word and praying in the spirit. Be in the word and be praying. I have found something that helps me. This may sound very simplistic to you. One of the things that guards me from depression and helps me process it when I'm prone to it is just to have a standing appointment with God and his word. The entrance of thy word giveth light, right? And my heart gets dark and despairing, and so the word, the word, the word. And, and sometimes just starting the day with, I don't feel so great, but I'm going to make God's word a priority. I'm going to do what's right and intentional uh, leads me in the right direction uh, emotionally. heard evangelist Dave Young say this recently, church is a place to hurt out loud. And I trust that Cleveland Baptist Church is that and will be that better, more fully in the days ahead, that we verbalize, we admit with decisive words the things that we're going through. Just this question of application, we'll move to our second main point tonight. Where are you internalizing what needs to be verbalized? Not just to random strangers in blown up kind of ways, road rage or whatever the case may be, 
but doing so intentionally in the presence of the inner circle that God has put in your life. Are you being open? Where can you be more open uh, to process depression uh, as you should? Guys, if you can pull up that next slide there, I wanted to show this picture. So this would be from our trip to the Holy Land. We were there in January. How many of you have been to Israel? Would you raise your hand for a minute? Okay, a lot of you. Isn't that an amazing experience? I got to go for the first time in January. This is a picture um, in the Garden of Gethsemane um, and uh, just kind of below the, the uh, city walls of the old city of Jerusalem. And the day we were there, it was raining like crazy. But what was amazing was we went right as the, as, the, as the country opened. And so when we first got there, it opened on Sunday. We were there on a Monday. To the best of my knowledge, from everything we could gather, there were only seven groups total in all of Israel. And so we would go to sites where they would hand us the key to unlock some, some site that hadn't been visited in six months. Uh, and there was no one there. And so the day we were at the Garden of Gethsemane, literally there were 25. Those of you who've been, that's, I know, amazing to you because it's usually packed. And we just had, we could just walk around. There was no one there, had an umbrella, just thanking the Lord for what he showed her, what he went through. Now, you notice at the bottom, a little word, I don't know if you can pick it out there. The word what? Peace. The word peace. I was thinking about this as it relates to the garden and what Jesus absorbed and owned and identified in his own heart in this moment. This, this tree likely is about 1,000 years old. You can see a little prop. I don't know if you can see that on the left there holding up this tree. This is possibly only a second-generation tree removed from Jesus Christ. It's possible that the one before that, they kind of grow up out of the stump of the old one, was the one that Jesus was near or saw or interacted with as he went through the text that we're talking about tonight. And here's what I, I thought as I was there. God, why do I struggle so much to have peace and joy when you came to this place and you absorbed and you, you gave yourself and you did what you did in this place and beyond this place? Why am I not choosing? Why am I not deciding to avail myself of your peace? So can I encourage you tonight to make that decision to admit uh, where you're less than joyful, less than identifying the depression uh, in your life. All right, number two, and this would be key as well. Look now at verse 39. And I love how the narrative shifts here as Jesus models for us a second commitment that frees us and soothes us in the midst of our depression. Verse 39, he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Notice this last phrase, nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. Number two, the submission. So we admit our depression. Number two, we submit our depression. We submit ourselves to the Lord. Now, your pastor and I have a few things I'm sure we don't see eye to eye on. One of them, probably the most glaring theological issue we have is I drink coffee and he doesn't. I just found that out for lunch I knew there was something about him that I was concerned about. And uh, I think uh, his wife, Miss Sandra, was saying, well, what does he do in the morning? Like, what do you do if you don't drink coffee? And it was kind of interesting to think about, what would I do if I didn't drink coffee in the morning? Um, a few months ago, uh, I'm a very, I drive my wife, my wife crazy. I'm a very routine guy. So, like, I get excited when school comes back in session. I hate the chaos of summer, right? Everybody's sleeping in and being bums and all that. Let's get back to work, you know, let's, that's just how I'm wired. And um, so I'm always prepping ahead. And so one of the things I do every night is I make, I put the coffee, it's ready for in the morning, first thing. 
Any of you depressed if you don't have coffee? That's kind of the reason for the illustration tonight. Um, and so I decided I put the coffee uh, grounds in the basket. I don't have the fancy coffee maker some of you have. Put the water in. And then I noticed that the caref, the, the pot that the coffee gets into, was rather dirty. And so Heidi was going to queue up the dishwasher for the night. So I had all the coffee ready. And then I put, I'm like, you know what? Let's go ahead and clean that tonight. So I put it in the, in the dishwasher, go to bed. And then mind you, in the morning, I need coffee to wake up, okay? I don't know if you know where this is going. Walk out, walk out, just hit the button. I just hit the button and go back to get ready for the day. And I, I start noticing after a few seconds or minutes, I'm like, man, that coffee is extra robust today. It's just I can smell it. And, and my son came and said, uh, Dad, did you see the kitchen? I, I turned the corner and here the coffee's just going all over the floor. It's down in the cabinets. It's under the sink. It's under the rug, under our dining room table. I had forgotten to put the pot under the collector, if you will, uh, to collect what was being made. Do you know that sometimes our, the reason for our depression has nothing to do with our circumstances, but has everything to do with the fact we're not under the God who allows sovereignly everything that occurs in our lives? In our depression, oftentimes, is a manifestation of actually almost resistance or insurrection where there should be submission to the God who is controlling all things. And so it's not about giving into our depression. It's about giving up to God. It's about giving over to God the things that he's allowing in our lives. I heard an author who said this recently. I love this analogy. He said this, if you ever feel that God is moving toward you to cut you, he does so as a surgeon, not as an executioner. Amen. So us submitting to God, it's not like we're yielding to a God who wounds us for no reason, who is capricious or is, is malicious. When we yield to God, even in the painful moments that evoke in our heart often depression, the ongoing chronic aspects of living in this fallen world, we're submitting to a surgeon who's purging and refining and renewing. And as we just heard the choir saying, one day... One day we'll be thankful for where we've submitted to him. And all the grief and brokenness and sorrow and low ebbs emotionally represent the room. All of that will make sense in that day. And so we can submit to that God. And so we see Jesus modeling that so effectively here. How does he do it? Look at verse 39. It says, and he went a little farther and fell on his face. Notice this, and prayed. Number one, submit with decisive prayer. Often our prayer life is less than decisive. And if you wait until you get in a low ebb moment, you get in a, a low point emotionally, am I going to pray or not? Am I going to communicate with God? You likely will not. It needs to be a discipline. It needs to be a decision that I am regularly in prayer uh, to my Heavenly Father. And so Jesus, just like he had done before, he prays here in this moment of depression and difficulty. And notice two things about his prayer. First, it's an honest prayer. I love that Jesus is honest about where he's at with the Father. He doesn't use big flowery words. There's no these and thous in the sense that we would often use that in our day. He's just honest. He's just raw. He's just real with the Father about where he is at emotionally and physically. And he refers to this cup. Did you see that there? If possible, let this cup pass from me. What's that a reference to? Uh, likely it's a reference to his imminent death, obviously, and, and the separation from the Father and being made sin. All of that. In fact, in the Old Testament, the word cup often would, would carry the idea of God's wrath. 
This cup of God's wrath. Revelation also refers to the cup being poured out, the wrath of God being poured out. And Jesus knew shortly that a holy God, as he became sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteous of God in him. He knew that that wrath was about to fall upon him. And so he's honest with God uh, through prayer. Much of the depression in our lives that is lethal in our relationship with God is because we don't dare tell God how we actually feel right? We're not honest in our prayers. We, we keep saying the same things about the same things. Our prayers are trite where they need to be honest, uh, where they need to be authentic and real before God. Um, listen, we're good at counting our blessings, right? We know that song. But when's the last time we've listed our burdens before God? We've been real with God about what grieves our heart and rips our heart out as we process the things that are going on in our lives. Uh, two things I would give you. I think the Psalms are a great resource uh, for me. I found when I can't get my prayers where they need to be with God, I try to find a prayer in the Psalms and just pray that to God. There's a great little book called Praying the Bible. I would encourage you to read it if you're looking for a book on that. Um, I can't remember the author off the top of my head, but a great book about just praying Scripture to God, and specifically the Psalms are a great resource in that direction. Um, one author said this, two, the two-thirds of the Psalms were written in the minor key. I mean, they're, they're pretty, do you ever duck kind of? I don't know if I'd say that to God. I don't know if I'd say that to God that way. Uh, and yet the psalmist knew something that often we forget, and that is that God wants to hear what's on our heart. He wants to hear where we're actually at. And Jesus is willing to acknowledge that in this moment. And so humble vulnerability, honest vulnerability, needs to be renewed in our prayers. All right, notice the end of verse 39. All right, so verse 42, he says the same thing a second time. Oh, my father, if this cup may pass from me, except I drink it. So it may not pass away from me, except I drink it. So he says this to the Lord twice. There's the honesty. Now notice the end of verse 39 and the end of verse, 32, uh, verse 42. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. Notice the end of verse uh, 42 after he says the same thing again. Um, Thy will be done. Number two, purposeful prayer. So our prayers need to be honest. Number two, they need to be purposeful. In praying that the cup may pass from Christ, he's not actually asking to be delivered from the cup. I think we have to be careful with how we exposit the text here. This is the reason Jesus came, right? This was his mission, was to drink deeply of this cup. And, and so there's a rhetorical conversation, if you will. There's a purposefulness on the part of Jesus Christ. I think, honestly, here's kind of the spirit of the text here. Jesus is saying, in effect, my Father, if there's any other way but this by which ungodly sinners can be saved, reveal that right now. And then there is what? Silence. There is no other way. So we see Jesus willing to acknowledge the purpose and the plan for which God the Father had sent him. And through this eloquent silence, we see Jesus submitting to this purpose anew and afresh, despite his reservations about what it means for him. Key thought tonight as it relates to our depression. Depression is rarely the result of pain. I don't see those that I'm counseling and those that I'm reading and interacting with that are dealing with depression, even when it's true of me, it's not about the pain. It's the fact that the pain feels purposeless. I think any of us can go through a difficult season, can't we, as long as there's a reason for it. 
But what hollows out our joy and what brings us toward a, a spirit and an attitude of depression is this doesn't have a reason, or at least it doesn't have a good reason. One author I was reading said this, I love this, this is a great truth. The opposite of depression is not happiness, it's purpose. The opposite of depression is not happiness, it's purpose. May I say to us tonight, this doesn't involve the psychological and the physiological things we've talked about already, but if you don't have a sense of purpose tonight, as you go through the pain of life, you will be depressed. Do we have a sense of purpose tonight? Where's that need renewed? Where's that need maintained? Where's that need increased in our lives to renew the joy of the Lord? I was just talking to Heidi this afternoon. It's amazing to me, the Apostle Paul, what he went through. And he just bounces back up. He gets stoned to death and he just gets back up and keeps going. His body is bruised and battered and he talks about perplexed but not in despair. That list, remember that? Discouraged but not destroyed. Why? Because he had a mission. He had a purpose. And so we have to maintain that through prayer. God, remind me of my purpose. Get me back on mission for you despite the difficulty in my life. Far too often our depression is unresolved or increasing because we are talking to everybody but God about it. Who knows us, who created us, who can heal us. Stop listening to your depression and start talking to your depression with the truth of God's word. Don't listen to yourself, talk to yourself. Psalm 42 and verse 11, Why art thou downcast, O my soul? Why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou. Who's he talking to? His own soul. Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him, who is the health of my countenance. Who is the health of my countenance and my God. All right, then if you would lastly look here in verse 40, and we see a second component of this submission. So first he submits with decisive prayer, our Lord and Savior who models for us how to process and how to interact with depression. Notice now verse 40. And he cometh unto the disciples and findeth them asleep and saith unto Peter, the one who has just said he would never deny the Lord, what could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Notice this last phrase, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Number two, so submit to God in our our depressed seasons with decisive prayer. Number two, submit with decisive spirituality. Submit with decisive spirituality. Now, we've talked about how depression affects us physically, and it does affect us physically. We must acknowledge that. Sometimes the root sources of our depression is physiological as well. But we must never navigate depression or try to overcome it by prioritizing fleshly priorities over spiritual priorities. The tendency when we hurt is we become self-preserving. We begin to look out for ourselves, and often it's in a way that's catering to the flesh instead of promoting that which is of spiritual necessity. And so what Jesus does here, while he, Luke says that the depression was so intense that he had what's called hemodrosis, where the capillaries in his forehead burst, he's sweating blood, drugs, uh, blood, uh, drops of blood. That's the intensity of what his body is feeling. You know, he says to his disciples, the body is weak. And so the spiritual must be the priority in the midst of all that we navigate in seasons of depression. When we put the spiritual first, God takes care of the other things. 
And I would give you just two things that Jesus models here. First, vigilant spirituality. He is vigilant while his disciples are sleeping. Vigilant spirituality. Have you ever woke, woken up after sleeping on a limb, especially a leg? Isn't that funny to watch someone else do? And they stand up and they can't, you know, their leg's asleep. Their leg's asleep. They're not ready to move. They think they are, but one part of their body is not ready. And often in our lives, we're not vigilant. We're sleeping and dozing and susceptible to all of the flesh and the temptations that come with that. And so Jesus here three times comes back to the disciples, and each time he finds them sleeping, and he wakes them up again and admonishes them to watch and pray, to be vigilant and prayerful where they are dozing. He encourages them to keep watching and keep praying. Why? Because of the weakness of the flesh. Can I give you a couple things practically real quickly, if you will, if you give me permission to do so as it relates to our vigilance and how that helps us with depression? I was taught this principle as a speech student, whether it was at CSO at the time was what it was called, where I do a speech for Christian school, uh, did so in college as well. And um, this statement, preparation precedes poise. Have you ever seen someone do a high school speech that isn't prepared? Not so much poise in that speech, right? I think a lot of times as it relates to our interaction with the darker emotions of our heart and soul, we're not prepared when it comes. So I encourage you to consider where you can get out ahead of maybe that dark moment or that despairing, a reminder of an anniversary of some moment in your life, and to be prepared where before you have not been. The answer to the question is actually what will you do beforehand, not what do you do in the moment when you're depressed, what are you doing beforehand to be ready uh, for that moment. And this is key. Here's what I found helps with depression. Establish before the moment what you will do, no matter what, and what you will never do when you're depressed. When I'm in a dark moment, I will always still do X, Y, and Z. And number two, I will never go here, do this, stop doing this. I'm going to stick with God. I'm going to stay faithful. I'm going to be vigilant where my flesh wants me to doze off. Much of the sins in our ranks, brethren, are because we're not prepared when the dark moments come. Um, there's a term, we don't have time to unpack it tonight, called dual diagnosis. Do you know that many, much of the alcoholism and drug addiction in our day is not because of the alcohol and drugs? Folks are self-medicating their own issues. And so if we don't deal with these things, if we're not ready for these things in a weak moment, we may give in to something that has lasting consequences in our families, in our lives, in our ministries. And so vigilant spirituality. Man's regenerated spirit may have good intentions, but must control his body in order to gain spiritual victory. Are we keeping our bodies in check? I don't know if you're a boater, if any of you have boats in the room, I'd assume as close as you are to Lake Erie, there probably are some fishermen or those that have a boat or two. And I was reading the other day a lady who was talking about the idea that we control our emotions more than we think we do. Listen to this analogy. She said this, Our will can control our feelings if we are steadfastly minded to do so. Surging emotions like a tossing vessel, which by degrees yield to the steady pull of the anchor, will find themselves attached to the mighty power of God by the choice of your will. Have you ever watched a boat rocking on the water? And yet the anchor, with all that's moving, it's anchor. Do we have that anchor tonight for our lives and our hearts, all the emotions and thoughts, the range that comes with depression? Vigilant spirituality. All right, and then lastly, look if you would at verse 43. He came and found them asleep again, 
for their eyes were heavy. I find it interesting that there's that little caveat. I don't know if that's Matthew kind of interjecting that. You know, our eyes were really heavy, just so you guys know why we were out or why the disciples were sleeping. And he left them and went away again and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Lastly, focused spirituality. Jesus models here not only a vigilant spirituality and focus, uh, but number two, a focused spirituality. Despite what the disciples were doing, Jesus was focused. Don't you see the contrast? They're sleeping, they're dozing, they're weak. Jesus is persevering in prayer, preparing for what God has for him in the moments to come. Unswerving obedience and determination to do the will of the Father. Um, One of the things that I have found to be true in those in the room who have been depressed, is it not often that our greatest source of discouragement when we're depressed is not our circumstances or what prompts it, but others around us who fail us? fail to understand, fail to not be judgmental or critical, fail to take the phone call or respond to the text, those that should be there for us that are not there for us. And Jesus here, despite the disappointment in his disciples, still does the will of the Father. He is focused on what is spiritual. Those who love you will always let you down at some point. That's just, that's just they're human. May I remind you tonight that God will not. And our job is to be submitted to him and focused on our relationship with him to get through those seasons of difficulty. Elizabeth Elliot said this once, it's hard to enter the kingdom of God, not because of an angel, because an angel is set up to keep us out, not because God would surround himself with highly selected elite, but because the condition for admittance is the renunciation of all other kingdoms. Jesus was about the will of the Father, the kingdom of God. He surrendered to that God. He submitted to that God, and God saw him through this dark season. So just this question, and we'll bring this to application tonight. Where are you trying to cope with with or suppress or even solve depression with only physical priorities and remedies in view? While depression can originate in the physical realm, as we've studied, the solutions are never physical alone. That's a key point tonight. They're never physical only. The stubborn darkness of the soul will require more than that. Are you open to and surrendered to a God willing to share that with you um, this evening? All right, let's end tonight in Revelation. Would you go there? Your pastor started us in Revelation this morning to begin, and we'll land there tonight. Revelation 21. Revelation 21. As you're turning there, um, I mentioned it this morning, who were, for those of you who were not here or didn't tune in this morning, uh, our family uh, decided to go to London uh, in May and June of this past year. Little did we know it was the Queen's Jubilee. I had people as we were, oh, you're going over for the Queen's Jubilee. And I'm, oh, no, I, I didn't know that. I wasn't really tracking with that. And uh, so we were there to visit my brother, uh, who's been a missionary there in the UK for a couple of decades, and he was coming off the field. We wanted to see their two churches um, that they've started there, and it was just a joy to meet their people and have that connection with them. First day we were there, our brother, my brother took us to what is called the Chartwell Estate, and this would be the country estate of uh, Winston Churchill, the prime minister during World War II. It would be his uh, claim to fame. And guys, if you can put that picture up there, this is a, uh, this is a uh, gallery, a uh, studio, where Winston Churchill sat. So the chair that you're looking at was the actual chair he sat in, and he would paint these pictures. And 
we had someone, uh, we were just kind of walking around, and I asked one of the tour guides, I'm like, tell us about the backstory of all this. Why did he paint? Why did Winston Churchill, with all that he had? Um, and uh, she said that he painted 546 paintings um, during his lifetime, and a lot of them are on exhibit uh, here in the estate. So we just walked around looking at them. But it's more than artistic background for Winston Churchill. He would talk, I've read several biographies about him. I'm fascinated by history, trying to learn from it instead of repeat it, if you know what I mean. And, um, and he struggled with what he called the black dog. And he said he was always trying to cage the black dog. And if you read about, enough about him, he struggled mightily with depression. And his, his personification or how he would talk about depression is he would, to his family and to those he consulted with, he would just call depression the black dog. He was constantly trying to get that black dog off his back with all the ebbs and flows of the, the geopolitical things he was navigating and war and all the things that he faced, trying to cage, if you will, the black dog. Can I just say to you tonight, unchecked depression will convince us of one of two narratives. Here's the first one. Number one, this difficulty will never end. It's never, ever, ever going to end. The second option is this, I've got to end this difficulty. And those dark thoughts are defied by these verses we're about to read in Revelation 22. Would you go there? Sorry, Revelation 21. Look at verse number 3. And this would push back against that narrative that Churchill struggled with, and I would guess many of us in the room struggle with, that it's never, ever going to end. The sorrow, the despair the depression we struggle. Verse 3, And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. Verse 4, Let these words just, just kind of just wash over you tonight. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Don't you look forward to that? Nothing to cry about nothing to cry with. It's all over. God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death. That might be why the crying stops. Neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain. Amen's out there on that. Neither shall there be any more pain. I love this. For the former things are passed away. Verse 5, and he that sat upon the throne said, behold, I make all things new. He said to me, right, for these words are true and faithful. You know, all of the, you can see a lot of wills. God's going to do this. I will do this, and I shall do this. Do you know that that is not just God's choice and decision, but he tells us about it now so that we will also choose to say, I will, I shall. If God's going to do that, then I can decide to do this, and I can decide not to do that. I end with this little story tonight. I was reading of a lady whose father was battling depression and she was processing it herself. Listen to this little story that captures for us our view of depression through the lens of Jesus and the gospel. She said this, My parents had just begun to build their dream home in the country and they were so excited to watch the process that they moved into an old trailer next to the building site. But before one nail was driven, my mom had a fatal heart attack. Dad loved mom so much that he would have been terminally dispirited without someone occupying her chair. He, she put that in quotes. 
So I moved in with them. I left my home, my job, my friends to live in the middle of nowhere in a derelict trailer which seemed porous to every creeping, crawling species of insect native to Texas. Worse, the shadow of my mother's death was like the sky. It spread over everything. It blighted any vestige of joy and left me wondering whether the heavy cloak of depression that seemed to swallow my whole, uh, my whole being would ever lift. But then God used my little dog Baxter to show me that it would. On the night of a new moon, when a swath of clouds masked the steering stars, Baxter ran from the trailer, so Moe's not the only one with issues that we referenced earlier, into the woods after some varmint that proved too tantalizing for his terrier instincts. I was away visiting friends, so my dad took his flashlight and went to find my beloved dog. Well into his search, the flashlight battery died. There he was in pitch black, surrounded by a thick overgrowth of scrub trees, ravines, and old barbed wire fences without any heavenly body for light or compass. When I came home the next morning, I found dad sitting in his easy chair, drinking a cup of coffee in perfect peace with one sheepish little dog at his feet. After regaling me with his harrowing tale, I asked, what did you do? He looked at me almost quizzically and said, listen to this, I just sat down. You just sat down, I asked. Yes, Margaret, I knew. Listen to this, I knew the sun would come up in the morning. There was the answer. In the deepest, seemingly inescapable nightfall, the sun always rises. The disciples on the stormy sea cried out in fearful desperation, and Jesus came to them in the fourth watch, the Roman division of the day that heralded the dawn. The sun, listen to me, always rises. And so what we can do with that truth, as we just read in Revelation 21, is we can decide today to live as if it's already here. We're not children of the dark. We should live as children of the day. There's the faith. There's the choice. There's the way forward in the midst of our depression. I heard someone say this just the other day, and it just it bowled me over when I heard it. He said this, when you are born, you look like your parents. And I would say that includes even their emotional health or unhealth. When you're born, you look like your parents. When you die, you look like your decisions. When you die, you look like your decisions. What are you going to decide to do tonight when you have a depressing moment? What am I going to do? And what can we do to help others around us? To admit it and then to submit to the God that allows it and uses it for his redemptive purpose. Let's pray together.